this is going to be my seventh Kona. And Kona was the first four Ironmans I did. And, and I've been really consistent. And that's why I love Kona. It's just a unique race that has special, uh, I don't know, just... It just has a special energy that I don't get from any other race out there. And I've raced around the world. There's something very unique about those lava fields. I definitely feel just like God and power and just a personal uplifting when I'm going there. Like, cause it's you and the elements of heat and wind and because it's a world championships, you are racing the best of the best. And so you have to expect the best out of yourself. And, and I guess that's what keeps me motivated. People keep going, when are you ever going to stop doing this? When I no longer feel that euphoria, when I no longer feel that personal challenge, when I don't know what else can I pull out of my body mentally or physically, because in triathlon, there's always something not there's very few races. I mean, I must have done hundreds of races. There's very few that go perfect. Um, and when that happens, it's, it's amazing. But even in, in races that you win, it's not always perfect from start to finish. That was Suzanne Davis, and this is the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the show. I'm Jess, your host. And holy moly, you guys... Yeah, holy moly, I just said it. Episode 73. Like, we just keep stepping up to the mic and getting it done every week in the name of purpose. And it's really beautiful because I'm finding more and more as I walk down my awake and ready path that we, BJ and I, are completely, well, let's not get too crazy. Let's just say that we're getting more and more detached from the work that we do in this life. And not in a way where we don't care about it, but in a way where we're not like so tied into the expectations that there's this roller coaster of highs and lows. You know, every night as I lay my body down to rest after a full day, because let's face it, every day is full. I give thanks. I give thanks for that day of experience that I received. And then I give it all back, like all of it. And then I rest easier with a lighter mind and a more open heart as I prepare for what's coming next. Because as much as we think we know or want to know, we never quite know what's coming next. And the art of embracing this truth is just a step on our road to mastery. As athletes, this is a major piece to embody in life and sport and one that holds so many athletes back. Oh my gosh, we see it all the time from the Facebook posts to the conversations that we have with athletes. You guys, we are so freaking attached and we're not giving it all back at the end of the day. We're not giving it all back at the end of the race, but learning how to live more in the moment. It's about that. And it's from here that we can start to understand the tendencies of the mind of being human. Human, we can release from the attachments and the expectations that keep us from our greatest potential. And that's what we're all about at Yogi Triathlete. We are a holistic performance coaching company with the betterment of the world on our mind. We are accepting new athletes now. So if you're into what we're putting down here at YT, then dive in deeper. And to put it just in more worldly words, join the tribe, get faster. It's that simple. Our guest today knows all about speed, the pain of detachment, and the massive life-altering moments that can come out of nowhere. Suzanne Davis has been in the sport 
of triathlon for over 20 years, and we are honored to be sharing her wisdom with you guys. She is a force to be reckoned with, and her history stacks up to one impressive athletic resume. In the late 1990s, Suzanne was a triathlete living the triathlon dream. She was a full-time resident at the Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs and traveling all over the world as a member of the U.S. national team. After earning enough points, Suzanne was invited to compete at the Olympic trials for the 2000 Games in Sydney, an experience that left her with a massive feeling of defeat, one that sent her on an athletic hiatus and into contemplation of life's greatest question, who am I? In 2003, after having her first child, Suzanne took up coaching on request of her friends and her triathlon bug quickly came back and took her to the starting line of a half Ironman, which accidentally took her to the big island where she landed on the podium at the world championship. And also, by the way, it was her first Ironman. Five years later, after baby number two, she returned to Kona, where she finished first American amateur and second in the world. And for this lady, second was not going to do. She had first place burned into her heart's desire. And in 2013, life in its divine magnificence laid down some of her greatest challenges, none of which was on the race course. In fact, in a year when her focus was anywhere but on her triathlon career, she ended up winning eight out of eight races, set four PRs, and broke a couple of course records. She was crowned U.S. Masters Champion and World Champion in Kona, where she took her age group by storm. 2013 was a year that on paper never would have added up to such athletic greatness, but it was one that reassured her of the higher power that drives, protects, and is with all of us all of the time. It was a year of deepening faith. And in retrospect, looking back, it was a year when she was completely detached. Suzanne is not just a super fast athlete. She is a mom, coach, and wife. And although her children were born into her athletic legacy, her husband is also a triathlete. They know that they have to work together as a team to maintain a healthy, communicative family unit. It's work, people. It's work not to become disconnected. Distraction is cheap and easy these days, and consciousness is what is required to maintain a strong core team because without it, nothing works. And really, consciousness, like, that's not asking too much. It's remembering that the awake and ready path is the one to roll down, and it's the one that will get you to the other side of your dreams so that the new and greater ones can move in. I know that we have many athlete families that listen to this show, and I think you guys are going to love the info that Suzanne throws down in this episode, especially the importance of what she refers to as 20-minute time. All right, you guys, let's do this. Without further adoing, I am honored to pass you through to our conversation with triathlete, coach, and one of the fastest moms in the world, Suzanne Davis. I did, see, I did 2010, I did Ironman, and then I ended up being the first amateur like out of the blue, like after my second pregnancy. And then I got all sponsored again in 2011. So maybe I have been with them six years. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because that was just a fluke. I didn't even know I was going to be great at Ironman. It was meant to happen. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know I was going to be great. What Ironman was that? Kona. Oh 
my yeah. god! <laughs> wow, and you qualified at a seventy. At a half, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, which, that's which is right. Gone now, yeah, much, I know. Yeah. So my first four Ironmans were Kona, because wow. I always just would qualify at a half and then go to Kona. That's so and cool. And so I only knew Kona as the Ironman, and so that's why. What's your age group? So now I'm forty-five to forty-nine. What's Elizabeth Kenyon? Is she Liz Kenyon might be. She yeah. might be the same age. No, she might be. be. Why don't you look her up? Yeah. Our friend from back east. She might be 50 to 54. She She would, I feel like, I feel like if she was in your age group, you You would would know know her. Yeah. Lizbeth? Lizbeth Kenyon. It's a small crew up there at the top and I feel like you'd know her. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. She's probably right around me in my age group or something. That's amazing that the first four you did. Right. And there are so many people out there who just are like. I just want to like go. Like, right. I wanna, so I, I want to go. So that's yeah. awesome. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. I'm just going to raise this up a little bit. Well, I want to start with uh, just saying congratulations because you yeah. killed it in Chattanooga. Oh. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> well, to, to most people we would think, but I'm sure you're always your hardest critic. Yeah. But you yeah. came in what, sixth in your age group? I did. I did. Yeah. And I was happy because I haven't done the half Ironman championships before. That was my first time. Oh, yeah. very cool. I usually just would do sprint, Olympic, and then Ironman. And I didn't know if I could double up with a half and then a full right back to back. But I tried it in March um, with Oceanside Mm -hmm. and then three weeks later did an Ironman and it seemed to be helpful to keep my focus as a buildup because you know Ironman training gets monotonous and tiring mm -hmm. and you get burnt out a little bit on the long weekends and so the half it was easier to focus on the half and then use that kind of as a launching and and then do the half and like with with Ironman fitness, yes, really. Yeah. That's kind of a fun thing to do. What Ironman did you do following? Um, so I did Texas then after that cool. to qualify for Kona. So you qualify year. for mm-hmm. 70.3 Worlds and then you qualify for, for Kona. Kona three weeks later. Yes. Done and done. <laughs> so many, now we have like so many people to track in Kona. I know. Like it's going to be a busy day. Troy. Yes. It's a busy yeah. day for the trackers. Love it. Um, so what did you think of the course? Because we've been getting lots of feedback from f- our athletes and, and friends and stuff on the course. What do you think? It was it was legit. It was probably the toughest course for sure that I've seen on the circuit. I would rank um, St. George a close second um, and Whistler because nice. Whistler has a lot of climbing as well in an Ironman distance. Um, but yes, the I'd say the grade of the hills, um, right at mile five on the bike. I mean, I have a computer that legitimately tells me it was 10 and a half percent grade right out of the gate. Love it. And, um, you're in your smallest chain ring and it was great because I did test the first couple hundred yards out the day before the race. And so I could really see, Ooh, your power could just skyrocket if you went too hard. Um, but I felt really good. You know, we live in a great area. I've been, biking up to Ramona, to Julian, and um, over by Henshaw, and I live right here by San Alijo Hill and Torrey Pine. So the hills to me were doable because I had trained on the hills, um, because I feel like going into any race, if you have strength training in the hills, it will help you with speed on the flats and against a headwind, just to have that power. And did it, did it get tough for you at any point? Yes. Um, I would say, you know, it was tough because 
You went straight up for about 22 miles. Um, I love and that. then <laughs> sounds amazing. <laughs> so I was like, wow, this is, you know, just like climbing up to Ramona. Like, you, you know, it's kind of like an hour and a half into the race. And then you got to descend. And what was a little tricky is it was a narrow road. It, um, it was a beautiful country road. So descending was a little um, hard because not everyone is technically savvy mm-hmm. going down. So I really had to break a lot because they didn't want to freak out girls. Plus, you couldn't cross the line. Um, and then there were traffic on some of the downhills. So there would be four cars. You'd have to kind of slow down and wait because they just had too many bikers. They couldn't pass. And like I said, the country road. So that was tough. I would say, you know, I felt the bike the last 10 miles coming into town, but um, really I felt good because the heat there was not as intense as people had predicted. And because you were in these beautiful woods, it was pretty, you know, comfortable, I think, temperature wise. It got pretty hot on the run. And I would say if you didn't drink your nutrition, even though Mm. it wasn't that hot or eat on the bike, you would have suffered on the run. Because, again, it was really hilly. It was demanding. Um, Was it exposed? It was exposed. So it got really hot. I was dumping water on my head. I enjoyed the cold sponges, you know. Um, But there were two loops. And between mile four and six, there were two miles of hills. And they, again, were a good 7 to 10% grade hills. I would say at least half a mile in length. So it, it was straight up, straight down, straight up, straight down. And then you would go flat, rolling, and then do that again. Oh, so the second really dynamic. It was. And so you just, you really had to focus on your form. You know, I started dead last in the last age group. So... I was passing a lot of people that probably helped me mentally because even if I wasn't maybe the fastest of the day, I was still having a really great run and I felt like, oh, I was catching a lot of people. It was difficult though to ever know where I was in the race. So I didn't know what place I was in. So in in those moments like of unknown, you don't know where you are, how do you how do you deal with that in your head? Do you have like chatter in your head and how do you redirect to to stay focused? Um I always, I really just kind of look at the people in front of me and I look at their leg turnover. I focus a lot on counting one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Um, I really focus on, I don't know, just like feeling a rhythm. Um, You really have to control your arm swing because your arms control your leg turnover when you're in that kind of race. And so I really just focus one girl at a time. And if I see someone who has really good form, I, I just hone in on that one person and I go, I'm going to catch her or stay with her if they're looking good in front of me. So you're just looking at like what's in front of you in that moment, not necessarily listening. The chatter can go on. Yes. Right. But that's not helpful to buy into that, like buy into the experience that's in front of you. Yeah. I really stay in the moment. I don't hear a lot of chatter and that probably helps me in the long run because a race can change moment to moment. And I will say my greatest probably Ironman was this year mentally because I never fell apart even though my body did. And so I came off the bike in Texas and my lower back was just locked. I had a seven minute lead and I ended up walking for the first time through transition and I lost seven minutes by walking through a transition. 
And I went from first to I don't even know what place. And then it was a three loop run and I thought, okay, 5K, I'm going to recover and loosen up. No, didn't happen. 10K, I'm gonna loosen up the, you know, my body's gotta pull through this. I've got the training, didn't happen. Had like a 70 year old man pass me. Didn't give up mentally, cause I thought, you know what? I just boosted his ego. <laughs> Made his day. <laughs> so you gotta find something positive. Cause if you turn mentally negative in an Ironman, it's over. Like, and so, so then you laugh at yourself. You're like, this is ridiculous. And then you think, I just paid a lot of money to come here. I just tortured myself for six months training to get here. My family is at home waiting. And so you say, pull it together. And then I had teammates from Timex out on the course. And Megan Finau ran by me and she goes, you got to dig deep. And just that one sentence Mm -hmm. just like lifted my spirits and I drove my knee. And then all of a sudden, boom, my body just came back. And I went from probably around a nine minute pace to, I'm not kidding, at least seven or below. And I must have passed hundreds of people in the last 10 miles of that marathon. And that's where I say, like in Ironman, it is not over until that finish line. Because where I fell apart, maybe the first 15 miles, a lot of people fell apart because of their nutrition in the last 10. And so, you know, it, it just, and so that's, what's so great about this sport. Like you can just have these amazing comebacks or you can just have these amazing personal breakthroughs. And that's why I think I love Ironman because it's just a race against yourself. And it's so long. It's so long yeah. in a time frame that so much can happen either way. Yes. And you got to roll with it. Yeah. And I'm sure, so you're a coach too. Yes. So I'm sure your athletes struggle with the same thing. Right. Like they get to that point and they're like, my legs my legs won't move. My legs, right. I, they just shut down. Yeah. And you know, I think race experience has helped me get through those tough moments. I used to race ITU. I used to race like against, you know, people we were training for the Olympics in 2000 and I would fly across the world to race in like Brazil or, or in Mexico. And I just was dead, like flat from the travel or something. And I think that was more defeating in the moment because you've got these people just running so fast right past you and you're just getting dropped. Where an Ironman, there's people walking by you and you're like, well, I'm not walking, you know? And so you can always justify a little bit. Um, But it is tough. Like with my athletes, I always try to break things up, whether you're doing, you know, a swim set, a run set or a bike set. Same thing with racing. Like I like to break it up into sections. And so um, in a marathon, I just think it's really nice to break it into four, six mile sections. The last two, you're going to get pulled in with the crowd. You're going to make it, you know. And so it's really just getting through those 10 Ks or you know, and putting into perspective or per hour. Um, I really break up an Ironman on the bike per hour. Cause if you tried to keep track of 112 miles, you would probably psych yourself out. Yeah. You can't look at the whole, you can't swallow the whole day when you're standing there in your wetsuit waiting for the gun to go off. You have to be there right in that breath, Yeah, you know, and then in, in trust that you've done the preparation to get you where, to where you need to go that day. And I do, uh, I love, um, like at the half Ironman distance, that half marathon, I, oh, I do the same thing. I break it up to four or five Ks. 
right? Is that math right? Yeah, four or five Ks. And then whatever, whatever the change is, it doesn't matter. Like you're gonna right. you're gonna push it into the end. But I love that because it makes, especially if it's a loop course, like it just makes it so much more digestible. Right. Where you don't have to, you don't have to do it all before the gun even goes off. You're just yeah. taking it moment by moment. And so, and, and by doing that in their training as well, you're training them for that piece. Right. And I always try to simulate harder sections of training than on race day. Because if you've mentally or physically gone through that bad moment, you can recall that and get through it. So same thing in, in Chattanooga. Yeah, it was super hilly. You know, it got hot. It was really nice to actually have a woman's race and a separate men's race because there were a lot of people cheering for us. And I really liked that we were first, like we were on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, that made it really nice. And also because the road was a little bit narrower, it made it a lot safer. Because if there would have been men dot bombing those hills, it would have been really, I think, dangerous and scary. Just because men and women, I think, do attack downhills differently and you're heavier. So you're going to get to go a couple miles an hour faster. So that was really good about Chattanooga. Um, I think it was for me a mental breakthrough because I was not trashed after the race. I felt really strong and smooth throughout the race. I didn't feel like I had like my zippiest gear there, but I didn't plan on that because I really wanted it as like a five hour, just killer race workout for Kona. Because when can you ever just like put that much mm-hmm. intensity into a five hour section? Not by yourself. Yeah, you don't. <laughs> you don't. Yeah. So it was a great experience. I loved the half. I think mentally and physically, it's so much more doable to balance with family. <laughs> and so a lot of people I coach, I tell them, you know, if you don't have, you know, the flexibility with your job or your family, um, or your spouse, it, it, it's a big, big, you know, piece of the puzzle that you have to bring into the people around you because it is, you know, time consuming. There's a nice balance between the both. If people are wondering, should I do a half or a full? You should ask, well, how much time do you really want to give away from those other parts of your life? And so, you know, I always tell people in a half, you know, probably 10 hours a week. But if you really want to do an Ironman, you got to probably go 15. You mm-hmm. know, it's not always 15 hours of training. It's stretching. It's stuff. getting a massage. It's going to the hot tub. It's foam rolling. There's just a lot more maintenance to Ironman, especially as you get older. <laughs> oh, yeah. Absolutely. So speaking of this balance with family and all of that, you have a family. Yes. So you've got how many kids? I have two kids. I have a 13-year-old son in eighth grade, and I have a nine-year-old daughter in fourth. So busy. Busy. Yes. It's getting really busy. And they're in sports. My son's in football, and my daughter does some dance and um, music. But um, they have been a part of this. I got into Ironman from having babies. I, I gained, with my first child, 60 pounds. And so I started, I quit my sales job and I started coaching some runners and a triathlete training for an Ironman. And I lost all that weight and I started to get fast again. And I thought, huh, maybe I should try a half. And so I did the Vineman half. And at the time, um, it was a qualifier for Kona and I qualified for Kona without even 
knowing that was on the table. And so, um, I did it and I was third in my age group and 10th overall in my first Ironman. And it happened to be Kona. So it was a great experience. I was like, wow, I never thought I could focus for this long of a race. Like it just seemed too long and monotonous because I'd only done Olympic distance my whole life. Yeah. There's something so special about that long distance though. I love it. Um, so how old was your baby at this point? Um, I did my first two Ironman when my kids were both two. So I did one in 2005 and then 2010. And in 2010, I cut off half an hour off my Ironman and ended up being the first overall amateur U.S. and second overall in the, in the amateurs. And so I was shocked. I broke the world record, but the girl who beat me also broke it. So by another few seconds, so (laughs) I didn't get the title of that, but it, it was so shocking and I felt so great. And then I thought, wow, I knew a little bit more going into that second Ironman, what I was, you know, facing. And I prepared myself a little bit more and I thought, wow, with this little bit of effort and I got this much better, I think I could be good at this distance. And then it's, it's a story from then. This is going to be my seventh Kona. And Kona was the first four Ironmans I did. And, and I've been really consistent. And that's why I love Kona. It's just a unique race that has special, uh, I don't know, just... It just has a special energy that I don't get from any other race out there. And I've raced around the world. There's something very unique about those lava fields. I definitely feel just like God and power and just a personal uplifting when I'm going there. Like, cause it's you and the elements of heat and wind And because it's a world championships, you are racing the best of the best. And so you have to expect the best out of yourself. And, and I guess that's what keeps me motivated. People keep going, when are you ever going to stop doing this? When I no longer feel that euphoria, when I no longer feel that personal challenge, when I don't know what else can I pull out of my body mentally or physically, because in triathlon, there's always something not there's very few races. I mean, I must have done hundreds of races. There's very few that go perfect. Um, and when that happens, it's, it's amazing. But even in, in races that you win, it's not always perfect from start to finish. Have you had, have you had a perfect race? Can you think back and where things have actually clicked? Like, you know, in 2013, I had a pretty perfect race under probably the most stressful conditions in my life. And so that's where I know there's a higher power. And my husband had had a heart attack. I lost a friend's, um, my best friend lost her husband. I went into my race season with two months of being in a hospital um, with my husband And I came out of it winning eight out of eight races and winning and breaking the world record in in Kona, as well as winning the national championships for USA Triathlon. And that was in Milwaukee. Yeah, in Milwaukee. And so I was shocked because the focus was so taken off of me Mm -hmm. and put on to my family and friends, yet I was lifted to, to this elevated level of, you know what? this race is important, but there's so much more. And I think just that's where people have to like get into their mindset 
to make those magical moments happen because you have to take the focus off of just you because there's so much more than that, you know, and, and that's why I love Ironman. So in the middle of the marathon, the hardest part of the marathon is always probably 15 miles on. And I just had like the song come into my head and like someone was playing music. And then all of a sudden I just felt this like electrifying like energy. And I just started to go, 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 go. And it, it carried me again, just this, I don't know where the energy came from, but that's where the patience of your nutrition, your focus on your leg turnover, and then there's going to be a moment where, oh, everything in your body just comes together. And you can't always, you know, know exactly when that Mm -hmm. is, but you have to believe it's in there. And so I think going through all those hard moments made me realize, you know, when everything is out of your control, you have to depend on something else. And so I just prayed and I like sang a song and, and it came out of me. And I think that's where I was meant to do this sport and like to share that. I don't know. Well, I I think what happened and, and let me know if I'm misspeaking, but I feel like you were probably in a massive, uh, energy field of gratitude that your husband was alive. Yes. That, you know, that, um, you know, it's so sad for your friend, but so grateful for what you still had that it was, it was lifted off of you. Like there was no room for you to have expectations about goals of what kind of time you're that, what kind of time you were going to hit. So by, as a byproduct of these things happening, you completely detached, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so when we attach, right, when we attach, this is what we talk about, like we can, the bars come down on the cage and then we limit ourselves. And, and what happened to you is that unbeknownst to you, everything got lifted and your full potential was able to come out and you were open. Like you are so open that these other, and I, and I absolutely know that we are never alone, that mm-hmm. these, that these energies were able to come through and support you because there was no resistance. Correct. So I think that's why triathlon is just such a lifestyle sport because I've learned that over the years and I didn't have that in my twenties when I was training for the Olympics. And I just, I didn't have that confidence. I didn't have that self openness or secureness or realization. And so it's fun being in my forties cause you do, you're a lot more, um, I don't know, knowledgeable and experienced I know. and what is calm it? and calm. <laughs> and so people go, Oh, are you nervous? No, I am very calm going into races. Yes. I get nervous right before the gun goes off or when I pick up my race packet. But other than that, no, the training is in, you know, I've crossed my T's and dotted my I's and the day will bring what it brings. And, and if I'm supposed to just win, awesome. And if I don't, I know I put my best out there and I'm going to be satisfied. There's been so many races where I self critique and I got down on myself and you know, it takes an athlete probably a few years to figure that out. It took me probably 10 years. Um, I've been doing this sport for over 20. So as a coach, I really try to share that knowledge of, yes, this was important or, oh, I'm sorry you didn't hit those paces or, oh, your heart rate was a few beats (laughs) off. But what it comes down to is, why are you really doing this race? Was it really to just impress me with that, that time? Cause it really, 
I don't care. I'm just so proud of you for like digging and living this and, and, uh, and it's gotta, you know, give you something back. And I think that's, that's exactly like, if we could go back 20 years, yeah. like go back 20 years and 15 years, like our parents tell us things like if, if you do this, like I'll tell you it, it's going to work. And I feel like with athletes, I just came back from Wisconsin, okay. Ironman, Wisconsin. Yeah. And I did the whole thing. Yeah. I went to like the athlete meeting and I went to like these swim groups and I was part of the Facebook group and you just see all the energy and nervousness and expectations being put out there. Yes. You see all this energy. And I was there even on race day and you just see all this energy. But because I've been doing the work over the years, I felt the calmness Yeah. come race day. It was just calm. Like you're just calm. like the swim start is a swim start. It's changed from last year. That's what we're dealt with. Mm-hmm. Let's get to it. Mm-hmm. And you can, I, I feel like there's some sort of way that we can communicate. And I think it's as coaches, we have a responsibility to share our experiences mm-hmm. and, and help these people grow. But I think what you tapped upon is so key. It's, it's more than the times. It's more than the heart rate. It's more than what you did in training. It's like, enjoy this full experience in its fullest capacity. Like who cares how long it takes mm-hmm. being in the moment from the swim to the, to the bike, to the, to the run and come back and see the midnight finishers, like embrace the mm-hmm. whole experience. And, and for me, this last experience, I did the whole thing by myself. Just didn't come with me. Okay. And it was just in a new race, new town. Yeah. And, and I just soaked up every bit of it and the energy. And it just, it's made me appreciate the sport. Mm-hmm. It's made me appreciate what others are working towards. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think as coaches, we have so much to share and help these people along. Maybe even like skip a few steps. Like if I can help you save, you know, a few years here mm-hmm. or there just by detaching from that watch that right. you're constantly looking at. Right. Um, I just feel like the, this whole Ironman experience is something that people can truly grow personally from. And it sounds like you did. Yeah. And you know what really helped because I was so competitive all my life since college from running then into triathlon, I got recruited by USA triathlon. And, um, I was always comparing myself to the best of the best. And if I wasn't, you know, if you, in any sport, if you're not first or second, you're really kind of nobody. I mean, cause how many people are getting paid? How many people really Mm -hmm. know the name and what, was awesome about this sport was becoming part of Team Timex. So there were 50 people from all over the world, uh, doctors, teachers, physio, scientists, uh, NASA scientists, um, a mom, you know, a trainer. And they all came together. They all did the sport. None of them were saying, oh, what time do you run? And, and they were so in love with the lifestyle of the sport and so supportive. And I had never experienced that much camaraderie. Uh, maybe because of the way I tried to train and race Mm -hmm. and always be at the top, but all these people win their age group or they take top five. I mean, they're competitive and they're executives or, you know, they have a big balance. And that was such an eye opener to me and a learning experience. And I am full of gratitude for being on the team because it showed me how people just love this. And it doesn't matter if you're first or 10th like they just love it and so if you can just share your training your racing with people who love what they're doing it's a win-win I mean and 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 
you know, you're going to get the memories, you're going to get the relationships, and you're going to get your personal race out of it. And so it's been really fun to do the team um, race at some of these races with the team. Kona, always we always have like about eight to ten people at least. And so it's fun. We do a team dinner. And it's just, it's fun. I really, um, Tristan is our manager and he just does an amazing job, I think, of correlating all of these great people on one team with awesome sponsors. And it's enabled me to keep doing what I'm doing because I do have awesome equipment. <laughs> I've got the Trek Speed concept, you know, with flying colors. And every time I zip down the coast highway, people are like, that is a nice bike. And I'm like, and they go, she looks fast. So just looking fast. I don't even have to be fast. I look fast. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's laughable now. Cause I'm like, mm, I know I'm a little intimidating looking, but at the same time, I'm like, you know what? I was intimidated the first 10 years of other people that look like that. And now I'm like, oh, if you only knew, I'm just a mom, a fast mom, but just a mom, a coach, a little, you know, right. a neighbor, you know. So um, it, it's fun. It's fun. What would you tell, like, the 20-something-year-old Suzanne? Mm. What would you tell her now? <laughs> <laughs> Think, well, looking back at like, you know, it yeah. sounds like you were uber competitive yeah. and, um, you know, maybe beating yourself up a little bit. Yeah. 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 What would you say to her? Um, I would say find how you define yourself. Like, who are you rating yourself against? Do you know God or do you have a spirituality? I didn't have that relationship at that time in my life. And so I was my worst critic. I wasn't accepting of failure, you know? And so I would just say, you know, in life, whether it was in college where you failed a test or, you know, you got a C in that class versus an A, did you really think like any of your friends thought less of you? And that's almost like the sport. You, you put this fake in your twenties. I did. I put this fake idealism, I guess, of, you know, if I wasn't top three, I was getting a D in that course. And so it's just, what do you, why are you rating yourself against that? And I guess because I wanted to get sponsored and I wanted to make the Olympic team. And so it, it you had to be that way, um, a little bit, but it would have been nice because you met people like Sheila Termina or Barb Lindquist who had that inner peace and balance and I wish I could have grown from knowing them a little bit more in my years with racing with them. But now I see why they were calm on the starting line because they had that connection. They had, they understood who they were as a person and didn't rate themselves as a triathlete. I identified myself as a triathlete, not as Suzanne. And so it just, it's, it's like anything. I'm sure if you're a doctor, you identify yourself maybe as a doctor and you forget, no, you're the dad and you're this person, or, you know, you're always, you know, called a teacher or whatever. And, and you just get wrapped up on who you are. And as a 20 year old, you know, you're molding yourself into something. And I wanted to be an athlete and that's all I really knew how to be. And, um, and so it is hard. And so I look at sports now and you look at, you know, all these people that go through a sport and then they're done and they're bored or 
you know, Michael Phelps keeps coming back or, you know, yeah, what's next? <laughs> what's next? And you I mean, and you know, there are just people you, you're like, well, now what do I do? Cause how do I get that euphoric experience? And that's where I'm saying, I hope those athletes learn like I did 10 years ago, you know, my center is God and then family and friends. And my athletic gift is a blessing. And I can share it with others and I can brighten my world with it. And I'm so awesome. I'm so amazed and, and happy that I can still do it at 46. <laughs> I, I think that um, you're, what you touched upon is so important. Like you, you're, the definition of you as an athlete. And so what comes with that is like this massive attachment. And then what happens when that gets taken away, right? Like when you're injured, mm-hmm. when you're and so, you know, connecting in with something greater than yourself to realize that you are something greater than just an athlete or a mom or whatever it is that you do in this world, a doctor, mm-hmm. a lawyer, mm-hmm. or whatever, that we are like this, like our lives are a symphony. Yeah. And if we put all our eggs in one basket and that basket falls over and all those eggs crack, like, where are you now? And, you know, I think it's happened to the best of us. I know it's happened quite, <laughs> quite extreme to BJ. Like when you realize that you were so attached and you probably didn't even realize you were so attached, but, but it's, there's a gift in there if you can see it. Right. Like there's a gift in there where you're like, where you might fall so deep where you're like, whoa. All right, either I'm going to stay here or I got to pick myself up mm-hmm. and 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 really look at who I am, how I've been moving through the world and and what I want to express, you know? Mm-hmm. Like what I want to be and and it's got to be more than just this one thing, right? That you can still be amazing and probably even more amazing at that one thing mm-hmm. if you see that incredible symphony of your life. Yeah, that's a beautiful way of putting it. My teammate, Ellen Hart, I love, she put it this way. She's like, you know, every Iron Man, it's a blank canvas, and I'm Mm. painting a beautiful portrait or picture. And that really is your life. I mean, every year you have probably a really dramatic different scene, you know, whether it's, you know, the flat, calm ocean. In some years, it might just be like (laughs) crashing waves, you know, and and that's the beauty of, I think, growth. Um, so, yeah, for sure. You just need to look at that. And it's, it's hanging out with people. And it, it is, and it is you know, identifying, you know, this world is just competitive. And I am a competitive person. I was born competitive. So whether I'm competitive in sales or competitive as an athlete or, you know, making the best lunches for my kids. Like... <laughs> <laughs> A little, all that competitive gets rolled up into something, you know, but, um, it is fun to finally balance that, you know, yeah. and like, and if the it. lunch bag falls on the ground yeah. and you accidentally step on it, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. You can remake that sandwich again. Yeah. So it, it's good. And you know, the biggest thing now is being that role model for my kids mm. and teaching them. Yes, I train a ton. And yes, if you study or if you put in this kind of effort, you will reap this award because they don't know why do you do all of this? And they're not quite there yet because they're young, but they're going to get to the point when they're 20 and, and I maybe didn't notice that in my family, even though I had a great parents and sisters and brothers to, to look after. But I hope to verbalize that to my children. And I'm always speaking into them now with love. And, um, and 
that, you know, you're just, you're just the best because you are made perfectly with who you are. And so if, you know, it's such a competitive world and all of this social media, it's feeding (laughs) their egos in a fake, fake way, you know, because they got a hundred likes. They think they have a hundred friends, but those social media people probably aren't their tightest Mm -hmm. friends. And so it's just, I think that is going to be probably my biggest challenge in teaching that. I'm glad I'm part of the social media world right now with triathlon. So I can understand that high or, Ooh, they liked that. (laughs) That was a good photo. That was a good caption. I want like 50 likes. Yeah. I'm so guilty of that. I know everyone gets, uh, we all feed into it. I I mean, it is instant gratification. It is. It is. And so I think racing is instant gratification, but really what it comes down to is, you know, all the training days, all the time you have with your friends or your clients or other athletes or your spouse. I mean, that's the memory you're going to take to the grave. I don't think you're going to remember every single race. Mm-hmm. No. What is, um, so you talked about your, you've been competitive for, for so long. Can you remember way back when, when you first had that competitive <laughs> spirit? Like what yes. was it like when you were six? You know, I'm the youngest <laughs> of six children. And so I remember it very distinctly with my sisters. My sister Beth was five years older than me. She's the closest sister to me. And so I always remember... Uh, her being a great slalom water skier. I grew up in Wisconsin on a lake and we went camping and she could just hit these rooster tails. So that was my first goal, I think, to become a good water skier. And I did, and I became a good water skier. And then I saw her run in high school and I really loved the team and the camaraderie and she was like captain. So I became a captain and a runner. And um, so... I do remember this distinctly. So in college, I finally like beat one of her running records and (laughs) made it to the national championships. And I thought, ha, now they can't say, oh, this is Beth's little sister. Now they're going to go, oh, this is Suzanne. (laughs) You've made it. (laughs) But it is, it's funny. And I see that with my kids. You get compared Mm -hmm. to your older siblings, Mm -hmm. which is a good thing. They mean love by it because they were great people. But as I would say, as a teaching experience for parents with kids who are competitive, I mean, kids in California, this competitive soccer thing is out of control, but if they have a couple of kids in soccer and they're both competitive, one is going to feel less superior. And that's what I want to make sure with my kids. They're not in the same sports, luckily, because they're a boy and a girl. But I can see them compete, whether it's with grades or, oh, I can play the piano better and you can play the guitar. You know, and it's just they want that instant gratification of acceptance, approval, oh. So how do you navigate that with them? I mean, you've got to already be kind of teaching it. So what do you find yourself? And there's no manual here, right? There's no manual. So what do you find yourself doing? Like, what do you see yourself doing with them to to find this balance and and keeping their self-esteem ripe, Mm -hmm. but not too egoic? Right. Um, I'd say the biggest thing is every day, you know, we have dinner together and we pray together and I say something totally personally related to them, whether uh, they're just such a loving spirit and I just can't believe the kind words that come out of their mouth or I'll just thank God for just giving me both of them. And then 
also, again, reinforcing that, that at night. What are you thankful for? And so they can grasp, oh, I'm not thankful because I can play the guitar. It, they think of, I'm thankful because I get to live here. I have a family. I, I think having that influence on them at a very early stage. And then when the brother does say, oh, you're not as good at this, you know, <laughs> you attack that right away and say, you cannot like keep putting her down like that. You need to tell her, why are you saying that? And you're kidding or, you know, oh, I didn't mean that that way because yeah. It's just natural. I mean, kids are going to always do that. But if you can at least do it with your own kids so they can correct each other, because uh, you can't do that with their friends so right. much. Yeah. So you have a really, you have a really strong faith. You have, this, you have this very, very strong attitude of gratitude, which is like, I wish we could bottle that oh, and thank sell you. it. Thank because you. Because not a, everybody has this. And there is something about, I remember when I was turn 30, like I was in my 30s and my friends in my 40s would be like, yeah, 30s are great because you're kind of like figuring it out and like maybe you're like start to be like, oh, wow, I don't have to like live in this tiny, well, as we're sitting in our tiny little studio, but this is my choice. <laughs> um, you know, like you start to get a little bit more financially stable yeah. and all of that and you're like, oh, 30s are fun. And my friends in my 40s would always say, oh, 40s are so great. And then even friends in the 50s are like, wait till you get to the 50s. The 50s are really awesome. So you get this wisdom through experience. Mm -hmm. But when did you get this like great faith? Was this when mm. your husband fell ill? Yes. Um, did that, did that I add probably, to it? Um, I probably did. We got married when I was... I would say 29, and I started growing in my faith then because um, I did a study with other women, and I was really empowered by that. What was I, the study? It, it was just, it was a women's Bible study, and uh, the pastor at the time led it, and I learned how to interpret a reading, which never made any sense to oh me my at God. all. Yes. 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 From the Bible. <laughs> I grew up Catholic, and so we would, like, chant things, but I didn't really know, you know what, what that meant. Yeah, and, they were, and it was always kind of scary, yeah. you know? Like, if I'm going to go... If you didn't say it right, or you had to mumble your lips, like, right. like maybe you know it, you don't know it. <laughs> but I think... Um, like, I think when you have that turning point in your life, whether it was a failure or a big change, I had that happen after, you know, training for the Olympics and not making it after, you know, four years of dedicating my life. That was a, a moment where my life changed. You know, getting married was a moment where my life changed. And then I had to, and then I got my first real job that was paying really well. And so... Those are just growing moments. And then I understood, oh, you know, there's a God and this is why he's in my life. And this is why I have these gifts. And this is why I had that experience happen to me. Yeah. And, and then, yes, um, where my husband had, you know, a fluke aneurysm from a surgery that leaked for seven or 30 years in his body one day. And um, it was the size of an orange next to his heart. And he thought he had cancer because it hurt so bad. It had cracked a rib. And nobody knew he was sick because he was a triathlete. So this is where I go, wow, you know, you know, everyone just judged him like, oh, you've been carrying a suitcase through the airport and you work and it's just your back is weak or whatever. And, um, Luckily, we did an MRI, and this is where, again, gratitude comes in. 
I started coaching a woman who happened to be <laughs> um, called me, calling me when I found this out, and she happened to be um, a cardiac nurse. And her husband was a cardiac surgeon. And I had never been sick in my entire life. And we got into, you know, the best surgeon at Stanford because of those connections. And that's where I go, okay, people are put into your life for a reason. And we are all connected. And if you can identify that and accept that and then watch, you know, the master plan, it's amazing. And so I'm excited. Like Kona this year is number seven. My parents have never seen me do an Ironman or anything longer than Olympic distance. And they haven't been to Hawaii since their 25th wedding anniversary. They've been married 56 years. They are both 79. They're coming, and two of my sisters are coming. Beth, the one that I was competitive (laughs) with, she actually is... You know, my close, close sister. Yeah, I just she's love her to pieces. Sure. And even though we bumped heads and fought and I compared myself to her all the time, like, I love her so much. And we're so, um, it, we have the fun, funnest trips and just, we're You're great. You're probably so much alike. Yes, we are. And, <laughs> yeah. um, and so she's still back in Wisconsin and has that cute accent that comes out. And then my sister Lisa's coming and Beth's husband, Peter. And so... Um, I'm just really excited to finally like share this island with them. Cause I said, if you're going to come, you gotta come. And maybe this is number seven, you know, I don't know, like might take a little break from Ironman after this one. So we'll see, we'll see. But, um, I just feel like it's a good point in my life and I just want to share it with them. Cause, um, I'm healthy this year. I took off last year. I was coaching Amy Dixon, who was trying to make it to the Rio Olympics. She's a blind athlete. And so I guided her last year. And again, that was a moment of growth where I just was like, wow, this person who's lost, you know, 98% of her sight is so optimistic and so positive. And that was really helpful for me, again, to always look like, you know what, even in life, when you are dealt a hard, hard hand, she has taken that hard hand and just turned it into something awesome. You know, she didn't make the Rio Olympics, but she started a blind camp with no sight, no limits. She's brought so much awareness to, I think, that whole world. Um, And I never even knew of all the Paralympic athletes and their stories and their hardships and how athletics help them keep pushing forward or give them that temporary purpose to fill that little gap of something that was taken away from them, you know, in another area. And so that's what sport is. It's, it's filling an area of your life to make it complete or whole, but once it's gone, I'm sure something else will mm-hmm. come in. I'm planning on taking up surf lessons next year. Do no. you guys surf? We, no, we, we don't. But I mean, I think it's, I mean, it's please. It's right it's, there. It's like 400 I, steps I, away. I, I, like but some now of the that my surfing. son is like 13, 14, I'm like, I am taking surf lessons awesome. next year with him. And he's a good enough swimmer now. And he's, he likes the ocean and loves boogie boarding. So I'm hoping... That could be a fun new chapter next oh, year. Oh yeah. yeah. And you'll just you'll just take it on full boat. <laughs> There's no doubt in my I'm mind. I'm sure I'll be competitive with someone out there on a wave. <laughs> oh yeah. All right, let's get down um, to like how you do this balance. And I and I know it works, but 
there's a lot of families out there. You know, when we lived in Boulder for a long time, I was a massage therapist. And so and massage therapy is always so much more than massage therapy. And I would treat a lot of couples, a lot of Ironman couples, saw a lot of divorces and, you know, got a lot of insight into like just this, the, um, dynamics of it. Yeah. The dynamics and how much imbalance and resistance and, um, unhappiness there can be there. So how are you, how are you finding, like, how do you do the balance? And I know it's like, it's the years of doing it and your Mm -hmm. kids were born into Mm -hmm. it, but it can't all be perfect. No. (laughs) What, what has to happen is communication, communication, communication. I mean, I'll never forget. So when I met my husband, I was training for the Olympic trials and he was training for his first Ironman here in Camp Pendleton. And it was in um, 1999. And he, when he asked me to marry him, he said, I will only be second (laughs) for so long. So after 2000, then I'm first, you know, because he knew that was like my world and my goal. And I was like, huh, okay, that was great. Cause he just like set that standard, communicated that, and it was firm. And then I stuck to my agreement. Yes. And then, you know, I did take a break from triathlon for three years. I went into the work world and I, I took a break from it. But still was part of it, like I started to teach at the Y, you know, a spin class, and I still enjoyed running. But because Scott was a triathlete going into this, he understood the demands of Ironman training, which I didn't even do at the time, and the love of sport and what it gives to you just healthy-wise, energy-wise, you get to eat a lot, um, you know, and it was a lot of our community with friendships. And so, you know, I met my husband because he was actually a homestay. So he gave his home up to a couple of us pros who are coming here to race a world cup. (laughs) And he wasn't even at his house. He gave the neighbor a key. And I said, who is this trusting person that gives us two strangers his house he had like directions on where to go bike I go wow this guy is organized you know and so we laugh about this and make fun of it but you know I think going into this world he always has had a love and a passion for it and because he he's in finance and he's a total math wizard he loves dissecting all of my times so I really don't know what time I'm going to come in but he knows what place and time I'm going to come in because he loves to calculate my competitors and we need Scott on our team yes (laughs) and you know he can tell me um you know that I'm gonna probably you know come off behind on the bike but if I just stay confident in my run I probably will catch them all and so it's just just having that side support has been huge for me because he has more faith in me from looking at numbers and just seeing my um energy level he goes, oh yeah, you're going to rock it today. Like, and then I know that because he already knows me so well because we've been married for 17 years. What gets hard is when, you know, the spouse travels or I am in the, in Ironman training because that is so time consuming and you get so tired. And then you have kids on top of it who are fighting, who need their homework <laughs> done and everyone's hungry. And so the biggest thing I can say to families going through this is 
you have to say whoever's doing the race, they get a three month pass on either not getting all the wash done or you're going to eat out more or you might just order a Domino's pizza for $9 because that's going to simplify a headache and somebody exploding because they're hungry, they're ornery, and you never want to compare yourself. I've learned this with my husband. Who's more tired? I think that's probably the easiest argument to get into. Well, I did a 100-mile bike ride. Well, I drove 100 miles up to LA. Who's really more tired? Both of you. It doesn't need to be compared. But again, as the competitive athlete in myself, you do that. And so I've learned with Scott, who is a great communicator, to just say, okay, we're both tired and the kids are tired. So how can we solve this? And it, you know, it hasn't always been smooth, but you can look back and go, oh, I know this is going to be a stressful three months. We need to set something up, either more babysitters or Suzanne, you need to go get a massage or, you know, to help just take that level of stress down or, Another thing I love, like dream dinners, like you can go make these dinners for two hours and then they're frozen great meals in your freezer and you take one out every day and then in 20 minutes you have an amazing meal. Dream dinner. I love that. <laughs> I might just steal that for next And um, I'm just going to tell you like for what you get and like all the spices, I couldn't go to the grocery store and actually make all this stuff for what I pay. Like to. Oh, so to, do you do like a home delivery? No, like you a, go to this location and they have the chicken, they have the paprika and they have the mango and they have the fresh lime and you grate it all into like these Ziploc bags, freeze it. And then you thaw it and then you cook it in 20 minutes and they have all the directions right there, but you just assemble it and it's, you don't have to clean it up. It's just a scoop of this, a scoop of this, a scoop of this. Mm. It's amazing. And I did it when I was pregnant um, and working and then I didn't do it for 20 years and I just started doing it again last month. It's like, been awesome. Yeah, there's something that we believe in and it's convenience. Like, and you gotta pay for convenience. Yes. But what what is your sanity worth? Right. Right? Like what is your sanity worth? And and you oh there it is right there, BJ just pulled it up, dream dinners. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Um one thing that you that you that you didn't say, but you did, you explained it in that conversation in, in just in that conversation you were having with your husband about like not arguing about who's tired enough. And like, there's this moment when you were describing it where I could just feel like your surrender, like we are both tired. Yeah. And I think you have to be willing to surrender. You can't, it's not about like proving Who's yourself right. right. Yeah, it's just going to elevate yeah. next step, next step. Yeah. It next doesn't step, matter. Next. Even if you are right, like be willing to be wrong. Right. Because what do you want to, what do you want to get out of? Like, yeah. What do you want you to get to out ask, of this whole thing? You have to ask yourself, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? Right. And that's what you, you really <laughs> have to learn. Like, so that's a huge thing. And then also, you know, making sure you do, even if you do train as a triathlete or a runner or whoever, a biker, um, take one day where you really do have a family day. Or if it can't be the whole day, you better have a real meal together and it, don't bring the phone to the table and don't be preoccupied. I think that's the greatest gift you can give to a child or your spouse is your full attention. And they want to see you look in their eyes. And if you're not, they don't think you're listening. And it's such a simple thing. But again, we are always so busy 
And technology has enabled us to pull ourselves away too easily. So I think if that can be, I'm glad I grew up in a generation without the cell Mm -hmm. phone. So I can see that, boy, we're going to have to really teach that though. And I probably am not even doing that good enough as a parent. Like, you know, just, you know, my daughter doesn't have a phone yet, but my son even like, it's good though. He doesn't always have it in his back pocket. He doesn't, he's not glued to it, but I'm sure when he gets into high school, that might change and then you'll have to limit that. It's, and it's a part of, they were born into this, you know? And so it's, it's, it's what's their relationship to it. And we just interviewed a, um, a pediatrician, like couple I don't know, maybe a month ago or so on our way up to Santa Rosa. And um, one of the things she said was like family dinner, like Mm -hmm. the importance of just sitting down and connecting Mm -hmm. because we can be so, I'm guilty of it. BJ's guilty of it. I'm sure you're guilty of it. Like we get Mm self-absorbed and that doesn't mean that we're jerks. It just means that we've got a lot going on and we can get really like turned in and Mm -hmm. not in like the inner being, get in touch with your true self kind of way. But like the, all this stuff I have going on in my list and what am I going to get done? And we need to realize that like, we need to be willing to see like, wow, I have the ability to be really Mm self-absorbed. And so taking a break and putting the phone down and, um, And like, you get frustrated with me sometimes, BJ, because he'll be like, I texted you. I'm like, I haven't even turned my phone on yet. Like, like I'll get up in the morning and do my morning meditation, which is what brings me my faith and my connection. And then like, I'll do a workout or have breakfast. And I won't even look at like, I've been really in this practice of not even looking at my phone. But that's, I love that. I feel like it's really transformed my relationship to it. And I see, and now I can see, I have more clarity of where else can I do that? in my day. Right. It doesn't have to be for hours, but it could be, you know, for 15 minutes or something like that. Where, where am I finding like, oh, well I took all that time off from it. Now I can really like just be in front of it and Mm -hmm. checking Instagram Mm -hmm. and all this other crap that really doesn't matter. I think you have to schedule that just like as a busy mom balancing their family, you know, you schedule breakfast, you schedule making their lunches, you schedule getting them to school you should schedule, okay, I'm only going to be on social media this half an hour and I'm only going, I'm going to do homework here. I'm going to make dinner here. I'm going to work out here. I'm going to see my husband here. Oh, that's another tip I'll give you with my husband and balancing a happier communicative, uh, marriage or relationship. We have 20 minute time and children love stopwatches. So I either set my watch or I set the microwave for 20 minutes. And if they interrupt us, then we get to add five minutes to the timer. (laughs) And so after dinner, where we've all talked, we've all eaten, then I don't clear the table. And my husband and I go to the other room and we just sit on the chair and talk for 20 minutes to brief each other on the day, what we might want to do tomorrow, a high, a low. And I'm telling you, in if you don't do that, you get so disconnected because that hour just went by, you didn't talk, then it's eight o'clock, then you got to put the kid to bed, and then I'm too tired to stay up and talk now. And so if you carve out even 20 minutes, whether that's in the morning with your coffee or after dinner, that has really helped maintain our relationship, I would say, in the last 10 years we've done that. Because kids are always interrupting and they always want to tell you one more thing. (laughs) 
And just one more. Just one more. Just, Mom, one more thing. I need to tell you about this slime. My daughter's so into slime right now. But anyway, we own 20 gallons of glue if you ever want to buy slime. Um, I might become a slime rep along with a coach. <laughs> just kidding. Nice. Slime dealer. Yeah, I want to um, I want to wrap it up, but I do want to hear about your your Olympic story. Like, what was those four years lead up to? What What was the Sydney? It was Sydney. Yep. So it the was first time the sport was going to be in the Olympics. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. So what was that like? What was this? How um, can you describe this journey? So you know, it was awesome. I would say the biggest thing that I took away from it was I got to travel around the world. And in my 20s and go to places by myself and just figure it out. Like I was just telling my girlfriend Gina last night, like I landed in Sao Paulo, Brazil by myself. This young blonde (laughs) didn't know a lick of Portuguese, Spanish. And I'm supposed to be getting picked up by some guy in a white (laughs) T-shirt holding a sign and he's not there. And so I found like a mission trip who spoke Portuguese. And back in the day, they only had pay phones. So I called on a pay phone, some number, this mission trip guy spoke Portuguese, said, oh, he's coming, he's coming in one hour. He showed up and picked me up and drove me two hours. I'm like, I hope we're headed to the race. (laughs) You did naive things, like if my parents would have ever known, like, really and you know we went into these alleys with bars on the window because brazil is very poor and i'm like where are we going where are we going he stops the truck he goes un momento i knew to wait in the car and he comes out and he had the box of race t-shirts but here i thought okay i'm gonna get abducted here but um i didn't but that empowered me to just go out and trust and then explore And so um, that was an amazing thing. And then the other thing was um, the growth of the sport. Um, I did not know how to swim coming into this sport. So I went out for the swim team my senior year in college, the last semester I was in college. And the swim coach didn't kick me off because he saw how determined I was. But that was really a lesson of discipline. I think mm-hmm. swimming is probably the most disciplined sport out there. I mean, we would show up in the morning for a practice, and at night I thought my arms were going to fall off. I swallowed so much water I thought I was going to die. And because I was a runner, all I did was know how to kick. I didn't know how to use my arms. So it was such um, a personal, amazing growth for me to go, wow. I can teach myself how to swim. I took like 10 minutes off my mile time in three months doing that. And so it just, I think that probably inspired me to maybe coach it because so many people come into this sport, they don't know how to do all three. They came as a runner, they were a cyclist or they were a swimmer and then they pick up the other two. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also just the sport, it was interesting to live at the Olympic Training Center. I lived in Colorado Springs. We did camps out here. 
And that's how I knew I wanted to live in California. We did a camp out here in Chula Vista and they took us running in the Rancho Santa Fe horse trails. And here, this little girl from Wisconsin, I'm like, look at these awesome eucalyptus trees and all these trails and there's farms. I had no idea it was the most expensive place in the U.S. Oh, yeah. to live. Oh, yeah. Ranch so I'm like, is beautiful. Yeah, I'm like, oh, I want to live here. This is like Wisconsin. You know, there's a lot of land. People have bigger yards. Oh, look, there's Oprah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so... I mean, again, but I put that out there. Wow, if I can ever live in California, that's where I want to go. You know, I had moved out to Boulder and then Colorado Springs, and I had lived in Arizona. But besides that, I'd never traveled out of Wisconsin. And so to get to go to like seven different countries and race around the world and just meet athletes from all these different countries. And then they just become friends because they're just part of this mm -hmm. little world. And you would just see them every, every two weeks I would race. It was pretty intense. So to get points, that became really hard because you were always traveling, always living out of a suitcase. But, um, you know, it was, it was amazing because um, one of my roommates from the Olympic Training Center, Gina, she's still a great friend today. We have, um, she has three kids. I have two kids. She got married a couple of years before me, but it's interesting, you know, you know, some of those bonds you form, you know, they're lifelong, just like you would in college or high school maybe. But, um, so, so triathlon has brought me a lot of my close friends and I would say that's been the biggest blessing and, and showed me the world so I can see like, to appreciate this or wow, that was really hard. Um, and, and I think I'm giving that sense of like, Ooh, let's go have an adventure to my children because I have been able to witness that. I hope to share that with them, probably not as a triathlete, but show them those areas because mm -hmm. we live in a pretty neat yeah. Spot. And trust, you know, I love yeah. your story about going to San Paulo, Brazil, because yeah. I've done very similar things to that. Like flying to Guatemala. <laughs> I don't speak the language and some guy in a van is supposed to pick me up, you know, meanwhile, 25 other people are trying to get me in their van yeah. and I'm like, are you the van? Yeah. You know? And then you're just like, talk about a guiding force and believing and then driving three and a half hours in the mountains of Guatemala to some lake, you know, yeah. and then getting on a boat and like, you know, it's just like, you're just like, okay, I'm just going to take whatever that next step is. But it's, it's such a, such an incredible experience to be able to have an adventure, to be, to have an adventure like that, but to, to go into it like without fear. There's so much fear in our world and yeah, you have to have street smarts and everything, but I think above all else, you must have faith and trust Yeah, that you'll be cared for. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. so it was awesome. And then that was probably the pinnacle of my worst moment too at the Olympic trials. So the gun went off. And I knew three strokes into the swim, my body was not on. You know, when you just feel like, oh, like a wall, just a flood of like lactic acid. I think I was so nervous, so worked up that, and I don't know if I just didn't taper right or it was just my mental, I was so scared. Because four or five years put into one day. One day. That was a lot of pressure. I think I folded under that pressure. And so then the sport had changed. So if you didn't come out of the water with the pack, you biked alone or you missed mm -hmm. the bike group because then it was drafting. And I was in the second group or the third group, and then I just couldn't catch up. 
It was just defeating from the moment. And then my whole family was there and I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, that's where the disappointment, like, oh my gosh, I have a four year college degree. I didn't make the Olympics. So now I don't have a job (laughs) and I'm not an Olympian. Who am I? (laughs) And that was a moment of just like, wow, how did I just like fail? But I didn't fail. Mm -hmm. It was a really big growth moment, but I don't think I'd ever been put under that kind of pressure. You know, I did race in World Cups, but I never put the pressure on myself to win one. I should have done that before the Olympic trials. Like, you know, just like put it all out there. Cause I had won some races, but I don't think I ever went to a race intentionally saying, I'm going to win this one. I can do that now a days. And if I will win it, like if I know, like I need to win that one, I will. Um, and then some days you won't, maybe you'll take second or third, but I'm just saying you're not going to be that far off. And, uh, so that was, that was, that was a day of a lot of crying and, and learning. It's re- that sounds just like Siri Lindley. Siri Lindley's story. Oh, she, yeah, I knew she, Siri. When yeah. she... W- for the for Olympic her, trials. For that one day, that one... Yeah, Olympic yeah, trials. for Sydney. Yeah. yeah, and she had like... We did a podcast with her. It's so good. And she um, visualized it, visualized it. And like she would visualize it before she went to bed. And if she fell asleep, she would wake up and like visualize it. Right. Like she was completely like so attached and got out there and the day was not the visualization yeah. and she had she no flexibility do. yeah and no, she no plan b i didn't either yeah and i didn't even know what to do like i couldn't even pull it together i was like trying but my body was just dead yeah and um so i i feel like wow you know after i had my first child and i did my first iron man i felt like that was god smiling down on me he goes here you go because I go, oh my gosh, I'm at a world championship. I just took third place. And I didn't even try. And I go, okay, see, I didn't put all the pressure on myself. Right. And look what happened. And then to come back, and then I did it. I was on the podium, you know, every year for four years going there. And so it, it and I got kept getting faster. I went 1020, then I went 952, 951, 942, and 941. And it was like, wow, you know, and that's when I could put the pressure on myself and go, there's more. Now I'm getting older and now I'm like, okay, can I break 10 hours? <laughs> but that's the resiliency. Like you could have stopped after that race. And I, I think could've. that's where a lot of people, yeah. a lot of athletes, like they, they get that hard race and they're like, well, I can't do this. Mm. But you need that, you need that resiliency and mm-hmm. persistence yeah. to just keep going because you don't know if that next race or that next run that you're going to have is going to be the one. Right. So you just need to keep going. And that's when you dig deep and find out why you're doing this. Right. And if you can determine why you're doing this, nothing's going to stop you. Yeah. One, one failed race or one supposed fail race, whatever you consider that to be, yeah. you can get past that. Yeah. And there's so much more. And look what happened. Like now you're winning age groups and yeah. Siri Lindley, like just things just, you got to keep going. Just right. keep going. And like in an Ironman race, just keep going. Like don't get with the walkers. Just keep going. Keep moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I love that. And don't yeah. ever feel like you've fallen off the path. Right. And you know. You're still on it. You know, and people say, oh, you know, when are you going to stop? And, you know, I thought I would stop because, you know, you are your fastest probably. I think I, I hit my peak at 40. Um the body can stay fast, but can it produce its fastest, fastest times? I mean, I would say Natasha Badman has been like 
the girl in her, I think she's 50 now. Yeah, she, yeah. And I mean, but if she compared her times to her when she was 40, no, I'm sure she's like slowed down 20 minutes or whatever. And some people can't handle that, but it's just reality. And it's interesting because so many athletes say, oh, well, I want to hold this time. And I'll say, well, did you hold that in a recent marathon, like in the last year? Well, I did this eight years ago. <laughs> well, living in the past. <laughs> and so I go, well, I used to be able to, you know, pull out a 122 half marathon too, but now I'm lucky if I break 130. Okay. There's the eight minute deficit. And that's just age and reality. Am I still speedy? Yes. And compared to maybe a lot of those people at that age, yes. And so that's where I know it's still a lifestyle and I still get enjoyment out of it because some people like the Michael Jordans or the Phelps are going to have to leave because they had such a legacy. They might as well leave. I mean, I don't know, you know, Dara Torres came back and yeah, she was one of the exceptions. But again, she was like 40. I think there's a magic number. Like once you hit 42, it starts to get a little harder. I don't know. <laughs> if, if anyone out there has magic after 42, you call me and you can coach me. I coach myself. But if you've got any magic out there, <laughs> let me know. Well, thank you yes. very much for talking. Thank you so much for, for meeting with us and sharing your story. It's just been, it's been simply amazing. Oh, good. Yeah, it's, ama it's amazing. And you mentioned N Natasha Badman, Badman. And yeah. um, one thing about her is that she's, she is the gratitude. Oh, I know. She's Massive always smiling. Gratitude. I love her. I love watching her. It's got to be, yeah, right? Everybody loves watching that. Yeah. So why not bring more of that into the world? Right. I'll be smiling no matter what happens in Hawaii. I'll just tell you that. Oh, we well, can't good luck wait. in Kona. We All can't right. wait to follow you. All right. We cannot wait to follow you. Awesome. Yeah, thank Thanks. All right, that's it. I hope you guys like this episode with Suzanne. And make sure to add her to your Kona tracker this year. We are less than two weeks out from our Super Bowl. And if you're not following Yogi Triathlete on social, please do. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, we are at Yogi Triathlete. So make sure to do that. We'll be posting all of our amazing guests who will be racing in Kona this year. So as you are a part of this community, so are they. We are all here to support each other, to keep raising the bar, to lift each other up higher through our own inner work. So let's rally around this greatness, soak up their energy because it's out there ready to be soaked and let's send them all super high vibes for what life will be serving them up on race day. Be sure to check out the show notes, get connected with Suzanne. Her attitude of gratitude is endless and awesome. And speaking of awesome, the reviews keep coming in via Apple Podcasts. So please, if you like today's show, go and share your words with the world in support of the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. It's so easy. Open up iTunes, go to store, select podcast, type in Yogi Triathlete, click on the image below the episodes. And the second tab is ratings and reviews. Go there and speak your heart. We had some questions on how to do it, and that's how you do it. Easy peasy. Our Patreon supporters have received a podcast extra from this episode as they do every week. Exclusive and early release content is for our Patreon community. So check out that page. Links for everything are in the show notes. And we'll be back next week. We think. I don't know. Who knows? Life is precious, right? Live every moment. 
Breathe every heartbeat. Stop missing your life and take moments to connect with yourself and those around you. We are all in this together and the state of our world is the collective result of our actions. Don't underestimate your impact. And remember, as my bud Buddha once said, there is no way to avoid the consequence of a negative thought. And that, my friends, is an eternal truth.